Welcome to Musicians vs. the World, the podcast where we explore aspects of music and musician life that may not have been covered in music school. I am so excited today for our guest. Here to talk about her life as a composer is Dr. Nkiru Okoye. She is a composer with a gift for incorporating many influences and styles within her work. And she's a Guggenheim Fellow, perhaps best known for her opera Harriet Tubman, When I Crossed That Line to Freedom, and her orchestral work Voices Shouting Out, composed as an artistic response to 9-11. Profiled in Music of Black Composers Coloring Book and Rutledge's African American Music and Introduction, Dr. Okoye is the inaugural recipient of the International Florence Price Award for Composition. A recent New York Times article mentioned Okoye's work would make a fitting grand opening for an opera company's post-pandemic relaunch. I am honored and grateful to have her here with me today. So, Dr. Nkiro Okoye, welcome to Musicians Versus the World. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. And I'm just so delighted that you found me, that we connected, and that we're able to do this. I am too. I am too. I am such an admirer of your work, and I'm just so grateful that you made the time to come talk with me today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. You have so many accolades and you're always, you're so busy with all this composing and so many premieres of your work. How did you get to where you are? Well, you know, I started out as a kid, I would hear these melodies and I didn't know that was composing because we were not from a musical family. Both of my parents were educated. My mother is an occupational therapist. My father was an electrical engineer. So they're both very, you know, those are both technical. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, I learned how to read very early. Uh-huh. And, you know, they have those children's books like Peter Rabbit. Mm-hmm. And Peter would open the window and he would sing his morning song. There's the poem. And so I'm sitting here singing the morning song because I'm hearing the music. And I have no idea that most people don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you made up your own song for it. Yeah. And I just just as clearly. I was like, oh, this is the morning song. You know, and I would sit down. We had a tiny, uh, this little organ. Mm-hmm. And I would just sit there and kind of do things with it, you know, just kind of run my fingers over it. And so they got me a piano and we just had the little local uh, piano teacher. Mm-hmm. And about two years, I outgrew her. Wow. But also, I was older than most conservatory route children. Yes. Uh-huh. And so she said, you know, I think that you could have a professional teacher. And it was Cecilia Brower, who used to play Celesta for the Met. Wow. Yeah. And it's funny because she's this tiny, tiny, tiny little lady. She heard me play. And we worked that summer. And she said, I think that you can do this. So I'm going to prepare you so you can go to one of these um, musical prep schools. So I worked that summer and I really learned how to play. Yeah. And, um, you know, going from that route, it's a, sl- it's a slower route. Mm-hmm. So I get there to this prep school and it's a Saturday program as a lot of the conservatories have. And I didn't get to study with the teacher that was intended. Her studio was full. Oh. Right. So instead... I'm assigned to this young white man, and he was just not impressed with this young black girl. It was just not a good fit. Mm -hmm. And so I think it was six weeks into our study. I think I'm 12. And he says to me, you will never be a pianist. You have no future in music. Basically, you your fingers off. 
and it's not going to do anything to your playing. And so this is awful. This is traumatic. What? And uh, people who see me now would think that, okay, this is where I tell them off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally not. So I'm you were 12. crushed. Yeah. And so um, God bless this man, because all of a sudden, I'm very aware of this music that that's in my head. Uh-huh. And uh, do you ever watch like the X-Men and things like that? And they talk about the superpowers. They come on, you know, if you're really, it's a, it's a child and the child is traumatized. It's a power comes out. And so he unleashed this music that had been in my head. Wow. And I was like, huh, I need to write this down. This is going to be my last thing that I do in music. It's my requiem. I'm 13. It's dramatic, right? So I <laughs> take to my band director and he's a black man and he used to play with some of the, you know, some of the pop groups from that time. And also, you know, just music educator. And he realizes, wait a minute, this girl is writing music. So he teaches me how to write this down. And there's this competition for black high school students. It's called Act So, and it's sponsored by the NAACP. Okay. And he says, I want you to enter this competition. And I said, okay, Mr. Collins, um, you don't understand. These people told me that I cannot play the piano. I have music. He said, well, why don't you try it and let them tell you no? So I enter the AXO competition. I go into the local rounds and I had to explain to these, it's basically a group of um, church women. (laughs) And I have to explain to them my piece of music and why they should count on me to go to the competition. Wow. Right. And so I'm shy and whatnot. All right. My name is Inkiru Okoye and this is my composition. It's called Phase Two. It's called Phase Two because it's the second part of my musical career at that point. Mm-hmm. And um, for some reason, they picked me and they had money for two and they ended up spending money for three. Okay. So I go to this national competition and I'm seeing this whole auditorium full of what you'd call talented and gifted black high school students. And everybody <laughs> looks like me. Uh-huh. And I go into my specific uh, category and there's all these guys. A lot of them are just towering over me. Uh-huh. And they've all been to this competition before. They know each other and they've all had professional lessons. And they're starting, they look down at this girl. What am I doing in there? <laughs> so I won. Wow. Oh, that's awesome. It was a real upset. I mean, they're like, wait, what? <laughs> 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 so, and it was on my birthday. My birthday is in the summer. And so oh. on my birthday, my gift is I'm a composer. They call my name and they put the gold medal around my neck and they play the Olympics theme. And it's really <laughs> what a yeah. turnaround from that, yes. that professor, that music teacher. Yeah. Um, they can intimidate. And yes. so, um, you know, after that, of course, I stopped working with him. My mom said, you know, don't be with him. So I went back to Mrs. Brower uh-huh. and we worked for the next three years and I would win these uh, gold medals each summer. And that was <laughs> what I would do. And it turned everybody around. Um, my town suddenly had this person who was an aspiring classical musician. Mm-hmm. My peers in high school were just kind of bewildered. 
but they were really, really proud. Yeah. You know, it's kind of okay. She's doing something different, and um, you know, it help it helps all of us. And so, our regional AXO competition, you get more money as you're winning. So we went from this very, very small thing to my being the show child, and I'm the show child. Wow. To down. You're like and, the local celebrity. Yeah, it was a little weird. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm I'm this um, kind of musical ambassador of classical music and new music for you know for for what for what it was worth <laughs> yes um you know from there i i went into oberlin i wanted to go there because they had a conservatory but they also had a college and i thought it was very important to be able to have access to both Mm-hmm. Gosh, you know, I get in there, it's really super, super isolating. You know, I hear this story from other Black students who have gone to the conservatory. So it's not like okay. um, this is just for me. Right, right, Composition right. is particularly, it's male and it's white, which is changing now. But it was difficult. It was very isolating. Again, it just wasn't, it was like, okay, you can leave. You know, we don't. Oh. And... I was so indignant when I got that you can leave letter, you know. Wait, like, they sent you a letter? Oh, absolutely. The end of my second year, they said, you know, we don't think that you're progressing. And <laughs> we don't think this is the right route for you. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So like an official letter. Oh, absolutely. And it wasn't like you're failing out. It wasn't failing or anything. It was just I wasn't thriving. Wow. Yeah. Now you have to consider this is coming from this background with no music at all. Suddenly I'm in this music school. Yes. And um we're just hearing all of this new music and a lot of it was experimental. It's kind of uh they were going through this John Cage type thing. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh man, I need to learn how to write music and you're showing me that silence. <laughs> 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 just sit there for four minutes. Yeah. So it wasn't, you know, I'm just taking it all in. And there are some people who just take all these things in. Uh-huh. Now, see, if they had just left me alone and not said anything, I probably, I was thinking, you know, I'm not sure this is for me. But once they said you can leave, like, oh, you know what? You know what? My name is Inkiru Okoye. And you all brought me in. You will see me out. that year I also happened to meet my first black composer and um you know it hadn't occurred to me that I'd never seen anyone who looks like me that was writing music oh interesting yeah and so my uh, mother's stepmother was a friend to this composer. Actually, it was his wife. And she said, oh, you're studying music. You have to go meet Noel DaCosta. And I was like, oh, composers are mean. (laughs) Right. You're like, my experience has not been good with it. Yeah. Yeah. So they took me, basically, they basically dragged me. (laughs) (laughs) He was the nicest human being. Really? And so gentle and so soft-spoken. And he said, okay, all right. Have you ever heard the music of other Black composers? I was like, no. So he started pulling out these scores of all these people. I was like, wow, I have ancestors. (laughs) (laughs) So I start taking classes in the college. And I'm doing this Black Studies major on the side. 
Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. And um, I would write papers about Black women composers. And I got a grant to, re- to research Black women composers, which oh. also brings me the music of all Black composers. And there was a symposium with Detroit Symphony. Mm-hmm. I, I got to go because the grant funded this. And I go there and there's all these Black composers. And I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they were playing music of uh, living composers. Uh-huh. And those that have passed on, I'm just listening to it and I'm taking it in. And all of this new music, all of these elements that weren't necessarily gelling with me, the ones that seemed to just drum me out of the conservatory, I got to hear other people and what they did with them. Mm. So I started just trying to put these same elements in my music and it, it changed my music, you know? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So from Oberlin, I went to Rutgers. I went to study with Noel DaCosta. Uh-huh. And he just said, you know, write, write whatever it is. Yeah. And um, I went from not writing a whole lot to winning the competition for uh, as my second year. I won the competition and the orchestra played my music. Wow. <laughs> yeah. How's that feeling when the first time that orchestra played your award-winning music? <laughs> Gosh, it was awesome. Yeah, you know, I'm here and I'm listening to it, and it's 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 amazing. Wow. So they actually, the folks at Rutgers actually laughed at my teacher when he took me as a student. Okay. So <laughs> I'm not understanding what, what I'm trying to wrap my head around this because you keep winning these awards. And people keep on saying, well, you can leave or laughing that you're even, how, how does that even work? Because you've like proved yourself over and over and over again. And people keep on saying, no, thank you. I don't understand. So did they give any, like, did they give any reasons why? Well, um, you know, I did not score very well on the, what are those, the, to get into grad school, GREs. Okay. Well, of course I didn't score highly on my GREs. I'm in the conservatory. I'm not taking right. math right. like anything else like this. Right, yeah. Like, oh, she does not have the cognitive ability to do this. All right, fine. Well, so many would internalize that and just quit or do mm-hmm. something else, but you didn't. Yeah. You took that and said, well, let me show you. Well, that was the result. Realistically, it really hurts when people sure. do when people say those things. And, you know, I had a learning disability. Um, I, I found that out when I was in grad school. Hmm. And it was really weird because, you know, if you're seeing your intelligence all charted out. You think about the different things that you need to succeed. Uh-huh. Also, my mother, as an occupational therapist, she used to look at these. And so as I'm looking at these steps, oh. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. You're like, I know what these are. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, I deliberately went out to take them. And then I'm, you know, I go to her and she says, remember those games that we played when you were a kid? So did she recognize and the games that you were playing? She was helping you with occupational therapy? Of course. Yeah. But she awesome. never told me that that's what it was. And she never said there were any limitations on what I could do or who I could be. Oh, what a good mom. You know, when I was getting straight A's in high school, when I, you know, when I applied myself and I'm, uh-huh. you know, working my job and I'm also um, practicing, you know, three or four hours a night um, 
on the weekends, you know, more. So right. the effort was there. Mm-hmm. And um, we don't quit. That's not acceptable behavior. Um, yeah. Both of my parents had master's degree. My entire, my experience, it's odd, you know, people look at African-Americans and they think, oh, disadvantaged. Oh, this, oh, that. Oh, poor African-Americans. All of the people, all of uh, my, my, my mother's two siblings, mm-hmm. and they all went to Ivy League schools. They all have master's degree. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So that was my example of right. what I was supposed to be. So right. of course. It's what you do. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it really, really hurts when people say those things. Mm-hmm. And um, you move on from that. You know, I always had my teacher or um, someone to say, hey, this really, really stinks. Mm. You know, there's that kind of consolation thing. Yeah. Some yeah. support. You had a good support oh, group. Important. Yeah. Wow. And so, and now here you are, a Guggenheim fellow. Yeah. That's kind of weird. Okay, so let's switch gears and talk about your work and your music a little bit. Yeah. And I just I just admire it so, so much. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You have this great gift for showing complex emotions and really bringing out the humanness yeah. in your characters. And I think that this is shown absolutely beautifully in your opera, Harriet Tubman. Would you like to talk about that a little bit? You know, I was, this is right after I finished Voices Shouting Out. And once you have, you know, 10 orchestras doing something, you're just like, wow, okay, that's it. How fabulous am I? And um, it's like, you know, teaching at this school, they don't have an orchestra. Mm -hmm. They have a large choir. And, you know, it's an HBCU. It's historically black college. university. Uh And the assumption is that I'm going to write pieces for this choir, which was not explained to me. (laughs) This was not explained to me as I took took on this role. Okay. So I don't write choral music. And it was, why don't you write something for the choir? You know, first it's a request and then it's a... (laughs) It's like, yeah, you need to do this. Yes. (laughs) um, I'm thinking, all right. So I wrote a couple of choral things and, you know, as I'm here, the ranges are all off because I don't write choral music. Where does he go? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm trying to use this kind of dissonant counterpoint and that's just not what they're used to seeing. (laughs) I was like, all right, okay. I need a big piece for this, this choir. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, I'm going to write a, um, I'm going to write an oratorio for them. If I do a whole bunch of spirituals and I put them together with texts from Harriet Tubman, and I chose Harriet Tubman because she was in Maryland and I was in Maryland at the time. Oh, okay. So if I do this, it's easy. It's done. So someone else had that same idea and they oh. wrote it about Dr. Martin Luther King. Um, you know, at this point I caught Tubman fever. Uh-huh. So I said, all right, let me, um, I'm going to make this into something. So maybe it will be, I'm thinking operatorio. Right. Right. And then of course it became an opera. Uh-huh. Right. And so the human element, because going back to what you said, 
the human element comes in because people will talk about women and they'll say, oh, she went crazy, Mm. right? As I have male students and composer, that's that's, uh, the the majority of Uh them will come in and they will talk about the mothers, the girlfriends, uh, whomever. She went crazy. That's a great, you know, and well, what did you do to her? Mm. (laughs) So I wanted to know what happened to Harriet Tubman that she would keep going up and down the Northeast Corridor because that is crazy unless she had a reason. Right. And the reason I found out was that she was trying to get her sister out. And so it is a love story between these two sisters. Mm-hmm. And um, it's no longer a story about an enslaved person. Mm-hmm. It's a story about these two sisters who make this vow. Nothing but the grave is going to tear us apart. And so I played the story around this. I had to learn how to write an opera. I had to learn how to write a libretto. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's not an easy thing. Yes. And I had to learn about Harriet Tubman because uh, Kate Clifford Larson had not yet written her book. She was writing it as I had written (laughs) And that's how we met, you know. So I, you know, I'm in Maryland and I go down, uh, I had a bunch of, uh, you know, a couple of buddies and we went down uh, to that area where Tubman lived. And we actually were in the store where she had the lead weight thrown to her head. Really? Yeah. Yeah. There's this presence in there that she can. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I did that and I loved it. I loved the research and I loved putting those elements together. And I deliberately said, okay, my, my teacher had just passed away a couple of years oh. before that. Some ways, you know, in tribute to him. Right. Because he was always telling me, you can do better. We'd hear this piece. You can do better. You can wow. do this. Yeah. So I'm going to write this piece and it will be a compendium of black music. You can use this piece as a course in black music. I took Eileen Southern's book which I was teaching out of that, was teaching a class in Black music. Mm-hmm. And it was the music of Black Americans. I went through the table of contents and I used it as a checklist. And so a lot of these styles that are mentioned in that right. are in Harriet Tubman. <laughs> was that difficult to incorporate the different styles? Actually, it wasn't. Someone, A number of people say, you know, how do you incorporate all these styles? And it just sounds like it's all this. It's Right. It meshes so well. It's like it grows out of each other. Yeah. I'm not sure how I do that. I was not allowed to listen to secular music uh, as a child. Oh, really? Yes. I also was not raised in a Black church, which surprises a lot of people who hear Harriet Tubman. Right. Right. When I was in college, I went to a Black church. Uh-huh. You know, and I had gone to black churches before and I'm familiar with it, but it's not quite the same thing as going and becoming a member and having that experience. Right. Mm-hmm. So I did that. But at the same time, I'm also hearing all of this new music. So it's all new music to me. Like maybe that's it because I'm hearing them really 
new and really concentrated all at the same time. I think I'm just all, I'm just absorbing it. Yeah. And um, I remember I needed a, like a barbershop style quartet. Mm -hmm. It's like, all right. So the men are in the forest and Harriet is at this point, uh, you know, she's, her master says that she's no longer good for, for housework. Right. So he sends her out to learn lumbering, what her father does. And so they sing this serenade to her and her younger sister, Rachel. And that's my barbershop love it. quartet. I love it. <laughs> but it comes out so naturally. It doesn't, you wouldn't necessarily know, oh, okay, it's a check mark here. It's deliberate placement, you know, uh-huh. but it comes from the heart. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So for the listener, it's like unexpected and it's like, oh, mm. wow, there it is. But it feels like, of yeah. course, it's it's meant to be there. Yeah. Yeah. And I got really, really super attached to my characters. And, you know, one of them dies. And I remember writing the scene and I, I was just so overcome because I'd known this character for all this time. Yes, and speaking of that, and speaking of characters going through difficult situations, you never shy away from composing and writing about difficult and often painful subjects. And I was wondering what your thought process is, and how do you think about that, and how do you use that music to process such difficult yeah, topics? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, I know that you also are a fan of another piece that I wrote, which also has a um, character. And this one is called We Met at the Symphony. Yes. Huge (laughs) fan of this one. It's a little bit lighter in tone than... (laughs) Yes. And so it's always good to have have this laughter. Um, Uh And you, you had asked me, you know, how do you look at these situations and then write about them? And, you know, I'm, I'm addressing these issues Mm-hmm. And I find humor in them. Yes. So the one that um, you've you've heard, and at this uh-huh. point, you know, the whole the whole thing has has premiered. This is the topic of black love, and a lot of people are very invested in this fairly specific, very narrow narrative about mm-hmm. African Americans, and it's about our trauma, and it's about racial trauma, and there's this need for justice. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know that we're ever going to get racial justice, Mm. but I do believe in equity and equity simply means programming, you know, um, programming something that um, maybe is not (laughs) about about that, Mm -hmm. Um, allowing us to tell our own stories. And when we program our own stories, when we originate them, you'd be surprised what happens. Mm-hmm. So Liz Player let me, she said, okay, I want you to write this narrative. And so this piece, while it is about Black love, it also takes a look at the experience that we have when going to the symphony. Mm-hmm. And so this woman says, you know, we met at the symphony of all places. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, if ever walls should intimidate. And she she's talking about this experience going into the hall when you're the only Black person and there mm-hmm. are people looking at you and you still, you're drawn to this music and you're looking at the, you know, the conductor and all the players and you're so struck by the whiteness that mm-hmm. is surrounding you. Mm-hmm. And you're still enjoying this music because that's your world. Mm-hmm. And she turns around Suddenly she sees a man. (laughs) And everything changes. Everything changes. (laughs) And, um, you know, so we, so, so we, we hear that. So there's there's three of them. So all three of them are about transformations. So they start off in one place, Mm -hmm. end up in an entirely different place. Mm -hmm. Going back to your point about the human element. Right. From years ago. I was, I had this commission for a, a symphony and um, I said, all right, we want you to write a piece, but opera composer in Kira Okoya, we want you to write a piece because we like your music. But although we know you to be an opera writer, we also know that you write symphonic music, but we don't want you to use any voices and we don't want you to write anything about black music. Did they read your bio before it? Talking to you? Well, yeah. <laughs> like, all right. So, uh, but, it, but uh, you know, actually it was kind of fun because, okay. you know, um, I don't necessarily, I don't, I can write in these different styles. Of course you can. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and even the second movement of this, this, uh, we met at the symphony, it's, you know, the woman has lost her, 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 her lover in a very humiliating type of way. Right. And that's, it, it's a universal thing that people can relate to and mm-hmm. anyone has those feelings. So, um, you know, so I, so I'm writing this piece and it's time for the premiere mm-hmm. and I'm walking into the hall and there's 2,500 seats in this hall. And as I'm walking in, I'm very aware of people staring. Gotcha. Yeah. And there's this, um, you know, so I was wearing a, you know, a concert gown and I, a friend was, had come with me and um, there was an article in the, um, it was on NPR. And I think maybe there was something in, in the newspaper. So it was more than the usual stares, but still I'm just walking there like, is that a composer? Is that a composer? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, it's a little weird. It's a little, sure. you know, yeah. yeah. So um, I walk down. I'm like, all right, all right, take my seat. So as the audience is applauding after this piece, and they just loved it. And yeah. I did not write about the Black experience. Um, right. there's, a lot of, um, um, there's a large Latinx population down there. So there's this kind of Brazilian or something. There's a folk song aims in the middle of that. Uh-huh. The audience just loves it. Right. And so as they're applauding and they're, they're giving me the standing ovation, hmm. I turn around and I look and there's this sea of white faces. Mm-hmm. It makes an impression. The line in this We Met at the Symphony, you know, it's amidst 2,499 white faces. That's where that comes from. Oh. So that's why it, you know, has that feel to it because these are experiences and some of them are uncomfortable. Yeah. And um, you have to smile anyway. Mm-hmm. And I have to, in order to succeed, in order to exist in concert music world and in opera world, I have to be used to being usually the only Black person in the room 
if there are other Black people, usually I've brought them. And it's beginning to change in a lot of this, uh, certainly with my pieces as I'm doing my composer residency type of things, seeing much more of the community come out. And it's hopeful. And that, my friends, is our pausing point for today. Join us next time when I continue my conversation with composer Dr. Nkiru Okoye. She'll share her composing process with us, the compelling stories behind two more of her popular works, and describes her mission to create music that engages communities and affects social change. In today's episode, you've heard excerpts from We Met at the Symphony, performed by soprano Jasmine Mohammed and the Harlem Chamber Players, as well as Harriet Tubman, When I Crossed That Line to Freedom, performed by American Opera Project's First Chance and Irondale Ensemble Theater, and the Harlem Chamber Players. Music was shared today with permission and links to all the ensembles and entire performances, as well as additional information about Dr. Okoye, can be found in our show notes on our website, frostedlens.com. Musicians vs. the World is a production of Frosted Lens Entertainment in conjunction with Smith Sound Music. It is hosted and edited by me, Christine Smith, and our producer today is Russ Wilkes. If you have enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss out on any future conversations. And if you want to help us reach more people that may be interested in today's topic, please share this episode with them or leave us a nice review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions for us, topics you'd like to hear about, or any helpful advice for other musicians that you'd like to share, be sure to reach out to us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, or send us an email at infofrostedlens.com. At Thanks so much. It's me.